I want to spend a few moments this afternoon talking about the cross of Jesus, the fact that the cross was foretold and fulfilled. The Bible tells us that God completed all his work before he even created anything. Hebrews, uh, the fourth chapter, the th I think it's the fourth, third or fourth verse, the Bible says that God completed everything even before the foundation of the world. That means in the mind of God, everything was completed even before he created anything. The works were finished before they actually began in the mind of God. Part of that was the cross. The cross, the Bible says, or Jesus was the Lamb of God, Revelation 13 and verse 8, the Bible says, Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. That means even before the foundations of the world were laid, before it was even created, Jesus was already the Lamb of God that was slain. The same thing is affirmed to us in 1 Peter chapter 1, 18, 19, and 20. And it talks about the precious blood of Christ. And it says that Jesus was foreordained, was foreordained, even before the foundation of the world, to be that lamb who shed his blood for us. Meaning, even before Adam and Eve were created, God knew the cross was going to take place. The cross was not an afterthought. The cross was known beforehand. And in time, God began to reveal to man through his prophets various things about the cross. So throughout the Old Testament, there are several foreshadows of the cross or pointers to the cross. In fact, Bible scholars will tell us there are 322 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. That means 322 prophecies pointing ahead to the person of Christ in the Old Testament. And all of these were given at least 500 years before Jesus was born. I mean, today, if somebody can tell us something five years in advance, that'd be great. <laughs> That here we have a book of more than 322 prophecies written, all of which were written at least 500 years prior. Because there's a 500 year gap between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament. Prophecies pointing to Jesus Christ. Some of them point very directly, very specifically to his death on the cross. Details on what would happen on that day of crucifixion. What would happen to his garment. How he would be betrayed. What would happen on the cross. All of those foretold. And some several hundred years, thousand years in advance. The cross was foretold. This afternoon I'm just going to look at three foreshadowing of the cross, three passages of scripture that tell us in advance about the cross and see how it was fulfilled on the day of Christ's crucifixion. 
All three of these may be very familiar to us. And if you've been in church for some time, you've probably heard these before. But it's good to remind ourselves. And, I, and the reason of our preaching this morning is not just to hear a good sermon, but what happens after the preaching. We're going to go into a time of prayer and ask God to confirm everything that we are going to hear from the message of the cross. The first foreshadowing of the cross that I want us to look at is in the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus. And I'll just narrate all of these for us. You don't necessarily have to turn there if you uh, would just want to listen. It's about the Passover lamb. The 12th chapter of Exodus. God was getting ready to bring his people out of 400 years of bondage and slavery to the Egyptian masters. They had been suppressed, oppressed, held captive, made to work hard as slaves for 400 years. God was getting ready to get them out of that in one night. But in preparation for that one night of deliverance, in preparation for that one night where they would go from being slaves to God's people who had been powerfully liberated, God said, I want you to do something. I want you to... Do what I'm calling as the Passover. So he said every house. You get a lamb. It should be about a year old. A year old lamb. Male lamb. Without spot. No problem with it. No defects. Every house get a lamb ready. If the house is too small. Maybe you can share it. Share it between two homes. Get a lamb ready. And then you... Sacrifice the lamb, they collect the blood of the lamb in a basin. And then with a bunch of hyssop. Hyssop was a small plant that grew in those areas. He said, make a bunch of that. And with hyssop, you apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost and on the lintel of your home. Apply it to your home. Because on the night, that evening... God said the destroyer will move throughout the land of Egypt. And every home that has the blood applied, the destroyer will pass over, will skip it. Literally, the word pass over literally means to skip. So it will skip that home when it sees the blood. Those inside that home are going to be protected. The destroyer will not touch the people who are under the blood. It will skip. That night was a great night of deliverance for the people of God, for the Hebrews. Throughout the land there was death in every home that had, did not have the blood. But these people were preserved. And because of that, they were released, they were let go. And an entire nation marched out into freedom. And God said, I want you to continue keeping this Passover in remembrance of that day when I brought you out of Egypt so from the time the God God's people entered in the land of Canaan every year they kept the Passover they kept the Passover faithfully in the first month the month of Nisan that was their calendar that was their first month of their calendar on the tenth day they would select a lamp, the male lamp. Every house would pick a lamp. 
A.D. 33, the 10th day of the first month of Nisan was a Monday. And remember, their days began 6 p.m. evening, went to 6 p.m. the other day. On that day, the 10th day of the first month, the Lord Jesus walks or rides into Jerusalem, being the chosen Lamb of God. We call it Palm Sunday or Palm Monday. or <laughs> That's okay. But the fact is, on the 10th day of the first month in that year, which many believe to be AD 33, Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem and people shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is taken from one of those Psalms between Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, which are all recited over and over again on the day of the Passover. God said, now interestingly, the Passover was tied in with another feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Which means the day before the Passover actually happens, God said, every home, get rid of any leaven that you have in your house. Clean out your house from any leaven. The next seven days, you will eat unleavened bread. No leaven in your homes. Starting with the day of the Passover... So, just before the Passover, they would make sure they took out all the leaven of the homes. And then they began to prepare for the Passover. So, the day of the Passover, which was the day, the 14th day of the first month, began on Thursday evening. And that's when they had that, that meal, the Passover meal. Jesus sat with his disciples on that day. That evening, you know the story. And it was at that meal Jesus instituted what you and I refer to as the Lord's table. We call it the Last Supper. He sat down with them. He broke bread. He said, take, eat, this is my body. The Passover was actually a celebration. It was not a solemn, serious thing. It was a celebration of great deliverance. But that last supper, the disciples didn't know that something so serious, so solemn was going to happen the next day. Which actually for them was still the day of the Passover. Because it started, started on Thursday night, went on into Friday. That was the 14th day of the first month. By that night, Jesus was betrayed. Friday morning, Mark says at about third hour of the day, which means nine o'clock. John says sixth hour of the day, which means twelve o'clock. So sometime between nine a.m. and twelve noon, the whole process of sentencing Jesus and the crucifixion began. Jesus was led out in a procession out of the city of Jerusalem onto the Mount Golgotha. By 12 noon, he was on the cross that Friday. That was the day of the Passover. 
from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, something unusual happens. That particular crucifixion day. The Bible says there was darkness all over the earth. Very unusual. Every between 12 noon and 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the temple. All the lambs were being brought, getting ready for slaughter. Because at 3 o'clock that afternoon, on most Passover days, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, was when the lambs would all be slaughtered on the day of the Passover. And they were getting ready. But on the mount, Jesus was hanging. And between 12 noon and 3 in the afternoon that day, Jesus spoke from the cross. The first thing he said, as he looked at all the people, what they were doing to him, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The two thieves by his sides were, one of the thieves said, why don't you get us off the cross if you're really the king of the Jews and save yourself and us. And the other thief somehow knew that the man hanging on the cross next to him was no ordinary man. Why would it become dark at 12 o'clock in the afternoon? Something different about this man. And he said, Lord. He didn't call him another thief. He didn't call him another man. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's strange how two people could be in the same situation. And one have a revelation of the true and living God. And the other just let it pass by. But this thief had a revelation. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord spoke those words. Today, you will be with me in paradise. At the time on the cross, hanging there. He saw his mother at the foot of the cross. He saw two other women, also both of them, all three of them called Mary. But he looked at his mother. He looked at the disciple whom he loved. He said, woman, behold your son. And looking at John, he said, behold your mother. Mary must have been about 50 years of age, maybe Definitely less than 55 at that time. And Jesus' heart was still out for her on the cross. Took care of his earthly mother. As time progressed on the cross, Jesus began to feel the agony. And he cries this out, my God, my God, why have you? Forsaken me. We can only imagine what must have been going on in the realm of the spirit and in his soul at that moment for him to cry out to the Father, the eternal Father, at whose side he was always, he always was. And to say, Father, why have you forsaken me? By this time, it was close to three o'clock in the afternoon. The high priests in the temple were ready now to kill the Passover lambs that had been brought there. 
And here on the cross, Jesus says, I thirst. The Bible says the soldiers standing by the cross, when they heard Jesus say this, they dipped a sponge in some sour wine, probably vinegar. They needed to reach it up to Jesus. And for some reason, they get a shaft of hyssop. Put the sponge on the stalk of hyssop and bring it to the mouth of Jesus. They didn't know what they were doing. But they were reenacting exactly what happened on the, from the very first Passover where God said, use the hyssop to apply the blood. Here the one who was shedding his blood was being administered with hyssop. And then Jesus, right after that, he says, it is finished. The work is done. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Three o'clock in the afternoon. That very moment in the temple, the Passover lambs are slaughtered. That very moment, the Bible says, there was deep darkness. So there was already darkness. But at three o'clock in the afternoon, it just became darker. It was as though the lights that would shine upon the earth had been switched off. Three o'clock in the afternoon. While the lambs were being slaughtered in the temple, the Bible says the veil of the temple was torn in two. Never before did such a thing take place. Shortly after that, sometime before six in the evening, the Roman soldiers came to see if Jesus and the others had died. The two thieves, their legs were broken. They came to Jesus, they pierced his side. They saw he was dead. They did not break his legs. Back in Exodus chapter 12, God had said, When you kill the Passover lamb, make sure not one bone of the lamb must be broken. Not one bone in this lamb was broken. Not one. And so Paul writes now to us believers in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, verses 7, 6, 7, and 8. He's writing to believers and he's saying, Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So let us keep the feast. Because Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Therefore put out from among you the old leaven. So that everything can be made new. So Paul is saying, look. They had the foreshadowing. You and I have the reality. They killed the lamb. You and I enjoy the blessing of the lamb of God. Christ has become our Passover. Christ came to be your Passover.
Passover lamb. It means that his blood applied to your life puts you in a place of complete immunity. The destroyer has no right over your life. That means him being your Passover brings you out of darkness and into the glorious liberty of a child of God. Into the kingdom of his own dear son. It means that the devil has no more right over you, no more claim over you. Because Christ, your Passover, has been sacrificed for you. But remember, the day of the Passover also ushered in the feast of the unleavened bread. Leaven represents sin. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, get rid of sin. Put it out from among you. Because we have the Passover lamb and tied to that is the putting away of sin. For you and I to really enjoy the power of the blood of the Passover lamb. You and I must be willing to have sin taken out of our lives. Put out of our lives. Because sin is the one thing that gives the devil permission to step across the bloodline. The blood covers you and me. Puts us in a place of immunity. But if you and I choose to sin, we're still giving the destroyer access to our lives. Are you with me? The second foreshadowing that I want to bring our attention to is in the 16th chapter of the book of Leviticus. God instituted another feast for his, for his people in the Old Testament, all of it pointing to Jesus Christ. In Leviticus, the 16th chapter, we read about the Day of Atonement. He said, in the seventh month of every year, on the tenth day of the seventh month will be your Day of Atonement. On that Day of Atonement, the high priest, and only on that day, the high priest, would have access into the most holy place. Or the holy of holies. In which was the ark of the covenant. The mercy seat and the presence of God rested there. The high priest would have access to this only one day. Each year. And he would come to make atonement for the sins of the people. For the entire nation. But in order to prepare himself to come into the most holy place. First he would have to sacrifice a bull as an offering for himself, for his own cleansing. And then they would bring two goats. One goat was a sin offering. The other was a scapegoat, the sin bearer. So he would take the first goat, the sin offering, sacrifice it, take the blood of the sin offering, come all the way into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle the altar, the Ark of the Covenant, he would sprinkle the mercy seat to make atonement for the sins of the nation, of the people. 
Once he's done that, he would come out. He would lay his hands on the other goat, the scapegoat, and confess or put the sins of the people on that goat. That goat became the sin bearer. And someone would lead that goat way away into the wilderness. Meaning the sins have been taken far away. And they are removed from the camp. And then he would take the bull and the goat, the sin offering. Take these, the bodies of these animals, take them outside the camp and burn them. Complete the sacrifice. A powerful picture of what Jesus Christ did for you and me. The 53rd chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah explains what happened on the cross. That on the cross, Jesus became both our sin offering and our sin bearer. As our sin offering, he says, Oh God, you will see the travail of a soul and be satisfied. For he has poured out his soul unto death. He will make himself an offering for sin. He became our sin offering. So that he could bring us now to God. Put us in right relationship with God. But Isaiah also said he became our sin bearer. He said surely, verse 4. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Yet he was bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised for our sins. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one of us to our own sinful way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He became our sin bearer. And when Jesus bore our sin, he took not only our sin, but all the results of sin, he carried them away, away from us. Just like the scapegoat that would take sin away from the people, Jesus became our sin bearer. Now Isaiah says he carried our sicknesses and our diseases. He carried our pains he bore the punishment that would bring healing, that would bring shalom. The chastisement for our shalom was upon him. As sin bearer, he not only took our sin away, but the result of sin, sickness, the brokenness that we face in our lives, he carried them away. That's why in his earthly ministry, Jesus could tell people, your sins are forgiven you. That's why in his earthly ministry, Jesus would heal people of every sickness and every disease. Because he was our sin bearer. That's why in his earthly ministry, he could remove every demonic power and set people free. He was our sin bearer. And he continues to do that till today. Because he still remains as the one who gave his life as an offering for us. He became our sin offering. He became our sin bearer. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, we read that in Hebrews 9. He entered the most holy place. Not the holy place made by hands, man's hands. But he entered into the most holy place in heaven. 
not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place. The tabernacle on earth was only a copy of the real tabernacle in heaven. Jesus entered there with his own blood. Here on earth, every year, the high priest had to make these sacrifices in order to atone for the sins of the people. When Jesus died, it was one final sacrifice. There was no need for anything after that. He took his blood, went in there, and he brought you and me into the very presence of God. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews 10, that he has opened for, up for us a new and living way, so that you and I can approach God with boldness, come into the very presence of God. Are you with me so far? The third and the last foreshadowing that I want to mention is in Numbers. As the people of Israel were journeying through the wilderness, this is in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. They come to a place where they are complaining about Moses and, and all the things were going on. And, and so fiery serpents come in among them and start biting the people. And people are dying by the thousands. And they cry out to Moses saying, oh, we have sinned. Can you do something for us? And God says, Moses, I, I want you to make a snake of a serpent made of brass or bronze. I want you to raise it up on a pole high enough in the middle of the camp so that people from any distance will be able to see it. And if any person is bitten by a snake, all they have to do is look at the brass serpent and they will live. Brass in the Bible represents judgment. The serpent represents the old serpent, the devil. The people of Israel did not understand it. They just did what God told them. But God was pointing through that whole foreshadowing. He was pointing to Jesus. The third chapter of John. Verses 15, 16 and 17. Jesus said. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the son of man be lifted up. Then comes the verse we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus himself attesting to this fact that that brass serpent was only a representation it was only a foreshadowing. It was only a pointer to what I am going to do on the cross. For people to look at me, all they have to do is to believe in me. And the power of the serpent will be broken. And the 12th chapter of John, I think it's verses 31 and 32. As Jesus is preparing to go to the cross... He says, now must the prince of this world be judged. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So he's talking about the defeat of Satan. And in the very next verse, verse 32, he says, And if I be lifted up, just referring once again 
to how Moses raised up the brass serpent. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Telling us that when Jesus is lifted up, Satan has been judged. His control over people on this earth is broken. That's Satan's defeat. And people are now going to be drawn to Jesus Christ. So, the Bible tells us very clearly that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public show of them on the cross and he triumphed over them. That's in Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 and 15. So the cross was not a place of defeat. It was a place of the greatest triumph mankind has ever known. It was a place where the serpent was judged and defeated and destroyed so that people could be set free. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, Hebrews 2 and verse 14 tells us, on the cross. What does it mean to you and me? It means that you and I who believe in the cross, we must know that the devil stands defeated. The power of sin over your life is broken. The power of the devil over your life has been broken. Because Jesus did that work on the cross. Christ is our Passover lamb. If you and I embrace Jesus, it means his blood is applied to our lives. It means the destroyer has no more access, no more claim, no more right over us. But we must, on our part, make sure we clean our house from all the leaven. Christ is our sin offering. He's reconciled us to God so you and I can stand before God without any sense of guilt, shame, or condemnation. The veil has been torn. The door has been opened. We have, we have a new and living way to enter into the most holy place with boldness and confidence. Christ became our sin bearer. He took sin and all the results of sin. He took it away. And that's why we not only say that our sins are forgiven, but we say there is healing in the cross. There is deliverance in the cross. There is wholeness that comes to us through the cross. Jesus preached it. Jesus demonstrated it. And we preach it till today. On the cross, the power of Satan was broken. The devil has no claim over you, no right over your life. Jesus Christ has set you free. Amen. Now, what we want to do today is say, God, we just don't want to preach good sermons, but we want to walk in the fullness of what you came to bring us. Amen. There could be people here. Maybe you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. You've never understood him as the one who sets you free from sin and brings you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Then this service, I would urge you to make that decision. To let Jesus Christ be your Passover lamb. Let his blood be applied and on your life. And the blood does so many things. It cleanses us from all sin. It redeems us from the power of the devil. It brings us into the very presence of God. But if you've never experienced that, I would urge you to do it. And we will pray for that in a few moments from now.
But the cross also means that there is no sense that we don't need to be under any sense of guilt, shame and condemnation. And there are so many of God's people living under guilt, under shame, under condemnation because of things that may have happened on the past, in the past. Sometimes people are unable to get free of that. Deep inside they feel condemned. They feel unworthy. And in this service today, we're going to ask God to remove those things. The devil uses things of the past to hold people under guilt, shame and condemnation. Even after they have believed in Jesus Christ. There's a deep sense of condemnation. There's a deep sense of rejection. And so they're, un they're unable to enjoy fellowship with God the way God wants us to. Sickness and disease is not of God. God does not want us to suffer. And he showed it to us because right there from the time they ate that Passover lamb to the 40 years journey through the wilderness, the Bible says there was not one sick person in all their tribes. Psalm 105 verse 37. It says that as they journeyed through their bodies and even their clothes were preserved, God took care of them. And God wants his people well. He wants you and me to walk in health because he is Jehovah Rapha, our healer. So we're going to ask the Lord to do it right here in this service. And I want to encourage you to expect the healing power of God to touch your body. It doesn't matter how long you've been suffering. It doesn't matter what the condition is. Sometimes, and I'm not saying every time, but sometimes there is a spirit of infirmity. There's a spirit of sickness and disease. And we want to take authority over that because the work has been finished on the cross. And then, even though Jesus has completed the work, yet so many of God's people are held in bondage to all kinds of things. Part of the reason is because we have not gotten rid of the leaven. We still play with sin. But this afternoon, this service, I want you to get serious with God. Because connected with the Passover is the feast of unleavened bread. Get rid of the old leaven. Get rid of it. And say, God, I want my house clean. So the blood that's applied on me will truly do what it's supposed to do. Cover me completely. Sometimes people, God's people, are still oppressed in their minds, their emotions. Addictions, things that are troubling people, oppressions, fear, confusion, depression, all kinds of things. Listen, as a child of God, you don't have to put up with these things. You don't have to. Jesus paid it all. You don't have to be bondage, be in bondage to any kind of addiction. You don't have to be oppressed with unclean thoughts in your mind all the time. These are not things that belong to a child of God. Jesus died to set you and me free. It's not the normal Christian life. And so we're going to pray. The purpose of the cross is to transform our lives completely. The purpose of preaching is only to help build faith and to point you to the reality of what God wants to do for you and me. But now we've got to reach out to it and say, God, I want to have it. The reason we gather is not just to hear the sermon. The reason we gather is to give God an opportunity 
to do something powerful in our lives. And I believe God wants to do it today. Amen. If there is even one person here this afternoon, you're not sure that Jesus Christ has become your Passover lamb. If you have not, if you've never ever knowingly put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's not about whether you've bo- you were born in a Christian family. It's not about whether you've been to church t- before this. It's about whether you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as the one who died for you on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be brought into a relationship with God and made a child of God. If you've never made that choice, if you've never made that decision, but you'd like, to, like that to happen to you this afternoon, then I want you to pray with me, knowing that everything Jesus did on the cross, He did it for you. He did it for you. If you've never done this before, And if you're willing to turn to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Just say this with me. Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I am a sinner. Forgive my sins. I believe you died for me on the cross. That you were buried and that you rose up again. Come into my life, Jesus. Wash me from my sin. And help me to follow you the rest of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website, apcwo.org, for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.